The Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network proudly presents Couch Trip Cinema, the podcast where we dig a little deeper and uh, discover why we are almost pathologically compelled to make movies. I am your host, Matthew Curry-Holmes, and uh, yeah, I'm a filmmaker. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Matthew Curry-Holmes, and this is Couch Trip Cinema. How are you guys doing? Are you okay? Are you, uh, are you, are you feeling okay? I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm feeling much better. I am, uh, I, I'm, I'm actually broadcasting from Canada. Yeah, we, uh, packed up the car and headed north. Uh, we're going to ride out the election here. And it's, it's nice. Um, the leaves are changing color. There's weather, you know, which is, which is really cool. I mean, I'm not knocking, uh, Los Angeles. I love, I love living in LA. I love California, but, uh, I gotta say, you know, you wake up one day and it's 14 years later and you're like, my God, where did the time go? Because there's no fucking seasons, man. There's no, there's no changing of the guard. It's just sun day in and day out, which again, I'm not complaining, but man, you lose a ton of time. But I digress. Oh my God, I'm so excited to introduce you all to uh, a fantastic independent filmmaker, uh, prolific, uh, hardcore, uh, gritty, no bullshit, super smart, um, uh, just concise, wise, the great Kenneth Castillo. Um, Kenneth, as I said, he's made seven feature films to date. He started, uh, doing theater in the, uh, mid to late nineties. He was, um, writing and producing, uh, plays. And then he turned his eye to, uh, to cinema and he made a series of short films. He, uh, he has a great, uh, series of short films online called the misadventures of Cholo Chaplin, which, uh, are a series of silent short films shot in the style of uh, serial shorts of the 1920s and 1930s. And it's set in the world of the Day of the Dead, uh, which is perfect for National Hispanic Heritage Month. So well, this is working out great. Um, since then, like I said, he's made seven feature films, uh, all of which take place in Los Angeles or Mexico. His filmmaking style is uh, gritty realism. Uh, he pulls no punches. Uh, very visceral. And like his films, uh, Kenneth Castillo himself pulls no punches. If you have any interest in making movies or want to know what it's like, this conversation is for you. So without further ado, I am so thrilled to present my good friend, Kenneth Castillo. Hey, man, how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) It's good. It's uh, all things considering, you know, you kind of break it down. But yeah, my family's good. I'm good. Um, that's all we can ask for really right now, huh? Yeah, not to timestamp it, but we are still in the time of COVID and yes. uh, we don't even know what day it is, what uh, month it is. No. I will say that it is hot outside. Yes, very hot <laughs> outside. Very nice and cool in here. Though. Oh yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, quick warning, my neighbor's kids might jump into the pool, so... Uh, oh, it's all good. <laughs> might be some screaming. Maybe we'll join them. Yeah, right, right. So... I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm super obsessed with your career. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> I've been uh, 
Well, we're friends. Yeah. So, we, you know, we hang out and chat. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, uh, Kenneth came over to the house. Uh, we screened a movie outside, Fright Night. Yes. For your kid, Mike. The original Fright Night. The original, yeah. 85. Had a really great time. And uh, you just started telling me these great stories. And I'm like, oh, dude, I got to get you on the podcast to, awesome. to, to tell these stories. So without being reductive or a terrible host, uh, you know, give me the cliff notes, which sort of kind of got you to hear or got you to prior to your first of seven feature films. Um, yeah, I'll try to give you, I definitely can give you the cliff notes on that. I mean, I, I went to an acting academy, I, to a three-year acting academy and graduated as an actor. Um, I learned the craft of acting. I also learned I'm not a very good actor. <laughs> um, and so I... Like everybody, you know, our age at that time, movies like Clerks and El Mariachi came out. And I basically looked at that, maybe arrogantly, and said, I can do that. You know, and... Um, arrogantly or confidently? I think it's confidently, you know, because... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then we were in our 20s, so it was totally arrogant. Exactly. So I, um, so I started doing some homework on what it would take to do an independent film. I had written... I started writing one-act plays, and I was producing plays with my wife in Studio City at the Two Roads Theater. And I started connecting all my one-acts into a screenplay as I was researching. And this is at the time where digital was taking off. Mm -hmm. The Canon XL1 was like the camera to get. I shot I shot something on the XL1. This, it was, yeah. I love it, though. I, lo I still have it. I still have my XL1. I like that it kind of looks like a gun. It looks, like it's got yes. That, <laughs> but it looks like a Star Wars gun. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it's, the colors are red, white, and black, yeah. which I was just like, that's, you know what? Actors didn't mind doing it because at that time, nobody was doing it. Yeah. I always say my career is a series of, of events where I was either too early or too late. And I was very early to that party. And so when my actors like digital, even SAG didn't even know what it was. Yeah. Um, and so I shot, took two years from 2000 to 2002 and shot that film, taught myself filmmaking. And it was a feature and cast people from my what's, acting what's, what's it called? What's, it was called Who's James Cagney? Um, and it's a sh I never put it on IMDb because we didn't get into one film festival. Um, they didn't know what it was. It had a different look than most films. Um, even the Latino film festivals, which there were a handful at the time, all of them rejected it. Um, so I never included it on IMDb. Yeah. I just didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't proud of it. I was very proud of it, but I was. But it's like Tarantino's first one. You got. You got to find it on YouTube. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you won't even find this on YouTube. Yeah. It's on VHS. That's how old it is. Um, or, or on too many DV tapes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I did that. It took two years. I bought myself an editing system. I taught myself how to edit. I edited the film. And I learned a lot, and a lot of great things came out of that film. But afterwards, it was like, um, you know, nothing happened. You know, nothing like, you know, I didn't have the Rob Rodriguez story or the sure. Kevin Smith story. So I did went on a sabbatical to Cuba, and it was a three-week trip. I ended up at the Cienfuegos Theater in the town of Cienfuegos, which is named after Camilo Cienfuegos, which is the baddest name that anyone could ever have. But Cienfuegos means 100 fires. And they were showing a Charlie Chaplin anthology, and I was sat there, and there was all these Cubans and me, and it was this, this 1920s Art Deco theater that was standing on its last leg oh. with this print that was probably 80 or 100 years old, watching Charlie Chaplin, and they were laughing, and it wasn't the, even the single cards, the, the, you know, the title cards yeah, were in yeah. Spanish. They were in English. Right. And most Cubans actually can speak English. But 
at the end of but it, it doesn't matter. It's it doesn't Charlie matter. Chaplin. It's Charlie I mean, Chaplin. You, exactly. It's him and Buster Keaton. You, you, you don't need to you know what they're saying. You don't need to know. This is 2002. <laughs> no, 2000. And my daughter was born. It's 2003. Wow. So I sat there and then it ended and I got up to leave and nobody left. Like they were going to sit and watch it the whole thing again. Oh, wow. <laughs> so then I came up with this Cholo Chaplin creation. I was inspired to do a short film series with a kind of a, a Chicano version of the tramp, but taken oh, in the world of the day of the fantastic. dead. I, I, oh, saw, fantastic. I saw them on, uh, on your Vimeo. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Change, yeah. Yeah. I have two on Vimeo and I have 10 of them on YouTube. On YouTube. Yeah. I watched them on YouTube. Oh, too. fantastic. Yeah. So I did that and then started shopping those. Around. I did five episodes. I did one episode originally that was 13 minutes long and then I converted it to three episodes. Yeah. Now I shot all those on Super 8 and converted them to digital and, di- and, and edited them digitally. So I'm learning all this, you know, as I'm going. And again, I was met with just rejection. <laughs> they just didn't take off. And, but I was never discouraged. At that time, I wasn't discouraged because I was just starting in my career, and yeah. I just loved doing it. It was just very pure. And so I submitted to the Con Short Film Corner in 2007, which we got in at the time. We were like, oh, this is great. We and got this was, in. This was Cholo Chaplin? Yeah. yeah. So it's five episodes I had on a DVD. And I had a logo and T-shirts and the whole nine. But the thing about the short film corner and a lot of that was their second year, I think. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, they, they, anyone, if you if you submitted, you got in. Yeah. You know, getting the acceptance letter, you you were all excited. Then you get there and you realize, wait a minute, this is everybody is here. You know, was this the 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 Cannes uh, Cinefontaine? Like, was this the... No, it was... What year was this? This is 2007. So this is their second year. It started in 2005. It was just a basically... Dude, I think I had a short film at Cannes. Yeah. <laughs> that... Yeah, but I think it was probably the same thing. Uh, during that year, same 2007. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Where, did you guys go? No, I didn't go. Okay. The The director, writer, and the producer. I was a co-producer and I was in it. Uh, it was called My Charlotte. And okay. you, you can actually find it online... And uh, I think it was 2007, and he he got into the short program, right? Yeah. Big, oh, I bet you guys hung out. Oh, probably did. <laughs> I mean, they, it was it was packed. I mean, it was cool because you got the badge and you had access to this to the Con Film Festival. And my, we had we were not we couldn't afford to both go. So I was going to go. My wife was going to stay behind, and then some friends of ours um, said, "No, you this is too special. You guys should go." And they 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 paid for her to go. Oh no way! So. Um, Dude, how was how was it? Was it just uh, you know it was it was the best education as a filmmaker I could get because I realized that filmmaking is global. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, now a film can bomb here and worldwide do a ton of money. You yeah. know, um, but back then it wasn't considered that. And the American screening, you know, the big things that they show, you know, like on TV and Access yeah, Hollywood yeah. and all that, that's actually a very small part of the festival. You know, that red carpet and all that—that's a tiny part of the film festival. Um, and so it's I learned the biggest the, in the world. I mean, it's, it's, it's the global. fourth, fourth biggest world event. It's the fourth biggest event in the world. Wow. Um, and it was just amazing. You know, my, my wife's from East LA. I'm from Wilmington and here we were at the Cannes Film Festival. I mean, in, in that sense, it was great. And I went to this pavilion. I went to this workshop where Peter Broderick, do you know who Peter Broderick is? No. He used to, he was a, he's a, he at the time was a big uh, advocate for film in, for for and consultant for independent filmmakers, and he had a. Uh, but he was there, and he was real big at the time, 
And I showed him what I had. And, he, and at the time, YouTube was just coming around. Sure. So he says, don't put your stuff on YouTube. You could package this. And he's all, I go, it's only 30 minutes, though. It's five, you know, or six, five, six minutes short films of this character. He's like, yeah, but it's very marketable. He's all, find your audience and, and market it. And he put me in contact with a company called Breakthrough Distribution, which essentially I, they would put everything together for me. And then they would handle shipping of my DVD and sure. everything, and I and had it on my website. Pre-streaming and pre-streaming, so, yeah, yeah. We're getting into exactly. So again, nobody was doing this at sure. the time. So I said, so when I got the, my best friend was a was dabbling in graphic design at the time. She created a DVD cover for me. She, I'm going to send that to you because I still have the original six. Uh, all packaged together. It looks like something you would buy at like Target or Walmart or something. And it was just badass. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to every local film festival in LA that rejected my, my project. And I'm just going to give them out. You know, they cost me a dollar <laughs> each, you know, essentially after uh, 2000. Four -walling I'm four-walling my <laughs> short, film project. short film project. So I went to the um, Latino uh, International, no, no, it was the LA Film Festival. And would you would you think of the LA Film Festival at that time? You know, it's it, we you, we played there. I, I Crystal Buckout Road played the LA. Oh film. yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I oh sorry, we played the LA Independent Film Festival. That's sorry. the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the one. Yeah. And the LA Independent Film Festival. Yeah, this is my thing on film festivals. Like I was always at the beginning when I would get accepted. You know, you get that initial like, oh wow, that's uh, great. Yeah. especially short films, right? And then you screen and you see the other short films that you're with. And you're just, I, I just start to sink because I want to be the worst film in my block, honestly. <laughs> I want to be the worst film because that means that my film was good enough yeah. to be with these oh, other films. That's interesting. And, and then when yours is the best. When it's the best and yeah. you're up there and you're like, I, it's, it's almost a little, for me personally, because I keep it real with myself and everything. And if I have a lot of people there and they're sitting through all these short films that are really bad. But the flip side of that is that you stand out. And yes. that's important, too, because... But, except in the Q&A, where the person with the worst film talks oh, the most. Yeah, they get, <laughs> they get everybody on the panel. On the they get everyone that, on, and no yeah. one asking that person a question, no. because they know their film sucks, but yet they somehow <laughs> manage to talk the most throughout the entire Because it's their thing. only shot. Exactly. You know, or, like, or they treat it like it's the Academy Awards. You know what I mean? It's so funny. You know, I, I had the exact same experience. We, we, did, uh, we played the Curse of Buckout Road, played a film festival, and it was blocked with a couple of shorts and we did the q a and i had mm -hmm. all the cast up there and and the the one guy who had the short that it wasn't a block of shorts it was like the one short prior to it and it wasn't it wasn't great like right. it was just a it was just a weird miss hodgepodge of ideas and 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 when he got up there he's like he's a doctor and he's got a PhD in this oh, and man. he starts talking and we're and and we're all kind of standing there just kind of smiling <laughs> Well, when I uh, quit my practice, and then you're just kind of going, okay. oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. for him, he thinks it's like it's, that's it, yeah, it's because he, he's yeah. he's given up so much, and he's made it as a doctor. But I mean, I've had so many real estate agents and lawyers that yeah. want to get into this business, and they think it's you know uh, just so easy because they have an idea, right? Yeah. But, you gotta hand it to them, though. I mean, you, you gotta hand it to people who dive in head first because there's something to be said. I, I, I think I just, I wish, uh, well, I don't wish harm on anyone. I don't wish ill on anyone, but I, I wish that they weren't necessarily rewarded as often. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. yeah I, it's no, like I, you, you, you kind of want to go, Hey man, 
I have an idea too. You've got all this money. Why right. don't we? <laughs> right. Well, I always tell people you don't know you're a filmmaker until you make your second film. Ah. You know, and oh my God, that's so true. And I get a, t- a lot of shit from people who say that. Well, I made a film, so I'm a filmmaker. I go, no, I, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. So after I made Who's James Cagney, and it took me two years to do that. At sure. the very end of it, and it was exhausting, and it was money, and my own money was I self financed, and it was all this stuff. And at the end of that entire process, the first thing that went through my head was, God, I got to do that again. Yeah, I got to do that again. Yeah. And if most of the people that do this. They're like, oh, my God, I hope this comes out because I'm not going to do this again yeah. unless this makes it big. Yeah. And I'm like, then you're not a filmmaker yeah, because you, you, it it's really the does. process. Yeah. It's the struggle. It's the it's the dirt and the grime and the battles, man. That's what I live for. <laughs> you you, got, you have to love the injuries. Oh, absolutely. Like you have to be in love with all the scars. Because you have to. If you don't, if you don't love your scars or your injuries, do something else. Oh, yeah. So you're in con. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. Well, I so I'm back, I tend to I'm do back. this by the no, way. Yeah, I tend to good. derail. We go down like, rabbit holes we're, and we're swim back in. <laughs> so I'm at um, so I'm at this film festival and I just start passing it out, saying "fuck it, I'm going to pass out my, oh, my right, free yeah. six, my six, my five films." And everyone's asked, "Oh my did god, you, what did is you this? feel like pretty pretty woman who when she walks in and she's like, you 'You're on commission, right? <laughs> Big mistake, Matthew. I feel like pretty woman every day. <laughs> you are a pretty woman." <laughs> Um, but I, uh, and so this producer came, uh, came up to me whom I'd went to school with and I haven't, I hadn't spoken to him in, I don't know, seven years. He didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what he was doing. We hadn't seen each other in a while. He was a good dear friend at the time. He's like, he saw, he got a hold of it and then he saw me he's like, Hey, what's, and he was holding it in his hand. He's like, Hey Ken, what's going on, man? I go, Hey, what's up G? What's going on? He's like, I'm working for this production company. I go, really? What are you guys doing? He's like, Oh, we're, we're, we're into distribution, but we want to get into production. He's like, do you know who did this? And he holds up the misadventures of Cholo Chaplin. Shut up. And I said, yeah, man, that's mine. He's like, wait, oh shit. He's like, I didn't even look at the name. He's like, Kenneth Castillo. And I go, yeah, man. He's like, this is what is this? And I told him, I said, it's 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 only about thirty minutes of content. He's like, is this in stores? Is this? I go, no. I go, this is what I did. He's like, you in the festival? I said, no. <laughs> he goes, he's like, oh my god. He's like, I, I want to distribute this. And I was like, all right, cool. He's like, but I need ninety minutes. And I'm a brother, even if I give you all my footage, I, it's not 90 minutes. Yeah. And he's like, well, what are you working on right now? I go, well, I go, what are you looking for? And he says, well, we're, we have money to do three feature films. We're going to do $50,000 is the production budget for each film. Holy shit. And, I, and at that time, I'm like, fuck, yeah, I could do something with that. And I said, well, what, what's the genre? And he's like, well, we're looking for urban genre. And that's my genre. So I was like, yeah, man, I got something. I had nothing. I had Who's James Cagney. It was the only script I'd written at that point. Yeah. And I was, I, so I tried to pitch that to him to see if I can get that done. He's like, no, no, we need something more, you know, with, 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 with uh, gangsters in it. So I was like, all right, let me think back on, <laughs> on my upbringing and, and people that I <laughs> knew in my life. I go, you know what? I'm, I'm working on something, but it's not going to be, I, I go, I'm, I'm getting on the, finishing the first draft. I go, it's not ready to be sent to you. So like, when can you send it to me? I said mid-April, and this was in March. So he was like, all right, give it to me in mid-April, and let's, let's go from there. And I, he says, can you give me a log line or anything? I said, yeah, but let me, uh, I don't have it on me. Let me, let me, I'll email it to you. I had nothing, wow. nothing. So I got home, and I came up with this idea of the character's name is Sideways with a Z. I never saw the, you know, Paul Giamatti film at that point, so... <laughs> <laughs> now my audience doesn't know that film exists, you know what I mean? But independent wise, I would get, oh, is this sideways the wine? I'm like, no, this is not the is fucking this wine. A movie. Wine gangster yeah. movie? I mean. I'm like, no, sideways is his nickname. 
And I wrote a monologue, and that was the opening voiceover of the piece. And then I, I just started doing research on screenwriting and everything else. I had no software, so I was doing this all on my computer and having to format it myself. I had no money to, to buy Final Draft yet. I was bartending at the time, worked extra shifts, got Final Draft, and it was so much easier, as you can imagine. Yeah. Did that, and then by the due date, I was able to give him a first draft. And he would so you wrote a first draft in under a month. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I was very happy with it. And then just because I'd finished it, you know what I mean. Yeah, I didn't right. know. <laughs> and he As, said, which it, is which is pro tip <clears throat> for for all aspiring screenwriters. Uh, yeah, you, you take those wins, man. Yeah, it's and the like, first draft <laughs> is after you finish the first draft. Now you start writing. Exactly. Um, and he, but he really liked the story. He really he he connected with all the characters. We had similar upbringings. He said, "Man, this is great." He's all here are my notes. And I'm like, notes? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean notes? It's perfect. It's my it's, first draft. I finished it. It yes. says fade to black. Yes, exactly. It did everything. It's formatted right. Everything. <laughs> yes. And so I was like a little, but luckily I you know I didn't say anything. And then he sends me back a draft with all these red notes and just a ton of notes. He liked sure. it, but. I was so flattered that he had taken the time to go through my script enough that he cared enough to say, yeah. this is what we need here. We need this here. And they were really great notes. I mean, at that time, that company was about doing something of quality. I would right. say they evolved later into something else. But at the start, that's where we were. Yeah. So I was supposed to be... There were two other directors they had reached out to whom I knew. One of them was a, a comedian, a stand-up comedian, whom his... I Well... We won't get into that, but he, um, <laughs> they connected with those guys and me. But all I kept hearing in my head was like three films, three films, three films. Yeah. How can I get those three budgets? And this is maybe, no, I'm not going to say that. I used to feel bad about it, but then I didn't because they were given notes and their attitude was like, no, our, they had such egos. Yeah. And this was something I learned and I put in my book on a tenant that I follow, which is never let your ego get bigger than your career. Yeah. So their That's egos great. were so incredibly... Uh, were so incredibly big that they couldn't take notes on anything. So I was supposed to be the second of the three films. There was going to be a film in front of me and a film after me. And I was moving more, more I was moving faster on my scripts than they were. Yeah, so you're hungrier. Exactly. Yeah. So we had our first production meeting at my house and we were talking and I said, hey man, I want to throw something by you. And I said, yeah. He goes, yeah, this is my producer. I said, you know, I, I kind of came up with this concept of a, this being a series, a trilogy. And he's like, well, what do you mean? They're all connected? I go, they're not connected character-wise, but they're connected by genre and under the, the title of the Drive-By Chronicles. And I go, essentially what I want to do is take a, a headline that covers, we always hear about the drive-bys in the neighborhood, but we never hear the story afterwards. Right. The news will cover it, but they never cover it with a story after. And every single film will be the story after. Right. And they love that idea. And at the time... I was writing, or I was in production on Sideways, this is now 2008, um, a, a place where I grew up in Wilmington, there was a, the east side of Wilmington, which was a very gang-infested area, and there was actually a one street that they called Ghost Town. And I'll never forget, like, my, bro my best friend's brother, he was, a, he was a gang member who had business dealings there. And he's like, oh, and he would always brag about going to Ghost Town. You guys want to go to Ghost Town? We're like, no, we don't want to go. And he goes, uh, and I asked him one day, I said, bro, why do you guys call it Ghost Town? 
And he says, because if you go there, he's all there are a lot of crackheads that are on the street walking around like zombies. Oh, wow. And I said, well, then why don't you call it Zombie Town? <laughs> and he looked at me straight and he's like, because that sounds stupid. <laughs> So that was when I was like seven years old, right? Um, mm. I knew about this place, Ghost Town. So here I am now. It's 2008. Yeah. And there's an article in the newspaper, LA Times, where the ATF just busted all of the drug dealers on Ghost Town, like in one foul swoop. It was all families, like from the great-grandmother to the great-grandkids dealing drugs. Wow. And they busted them all. So, I mean, ATF, this is 30 years later, <laughs> you know, figuring out there's something going on down in this neighborhood. So I thought, I'm going to flip, flip the narrative a little bit. I'm going to do a, a love story. And I, so I pitched that to them. Yeah. And they loved that idea. So then he said, you know what? We're going to do... He said, what about your third film? I go, give me a minute on that third idea. Um, but I eventually ended up getting all three budgets. So you made all three films? Yes. Over a period of two years. Amazing. Yeah. And where are those? Where can, where can we see those? Um, right now, you can probably find them on a Walmart website. I know Sideways and uh, I know Ghost Town is on there. And Sideways, you can find on Amazon. You can find the DVD on Amazon. Um, my third one is called, it was called Nikki and Jackie, but the distributor uh, changed the, the name to Confession of a Gangster. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, and uh, oh. so all three, they're all out there. You gotta, you gotta search for those three. Um, but they are out there. Sideways you, you is probably the easiest was, one. You know why it was confession of a gangster, right? Two, why is it? two, two reasons. Number one, C yes. is higher up in the alphabet. True. So you always oh, want right. You always want to have something that's as close, like if it has an A title or two A's oh, in that's the a title. Good point. Like, yeah. So, so you you want so that when they're scrolling through, they make it to C. There's confession. Right. And I mean, obviously, gangster. It's, oh yeah, that's gonna be. And I'm like, if, you know, and I, I learned, you know, I was at the time after that film. I was because in Ghost Town, that none of my actors were on the cover. Like they put all these other people on the cover to make it more gangstery, I guess. Sure. But um the extras in the background for yeah, one was, scene yeah, where exactly. you had them kind of run through. Exactly. They're on the cover. My actors are like, wait, what the hell is this? And so after my third film, I started hiring my own artists to create my own posters. Oh wow, right. To on. try to influence the distributor. What was this company? Uh, Plus Entertainment. Yeah, are they still are they still working? Are you are you still working with the producer? I'm no I'm not. Unfortunately we uh, had a major falling out about happens. Oh, God, I don't even know how long. Probably over five years ago now. But, um, yeah, I I, 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 I won't say I have mixed feelings about it. I don't think I would reach out to him. But if you ever reached yeah. out to me, um, I, I, I probably didn't handle that situation as best as I could. Um, but I basically basically what happened was I felt like we were building something together. Yeah. And, and I was looking to increase budgets, increase pay for my actors, Try to get some name, bigger name talent sure. in, and they wanted to go cheaper. And so and actors that I had so many. had championed, yeah, saw an opportunity and decided, well, we'll do it for far cheaper than Ken. And now we know Ken's process, yeah. so we could just copy his process. Oh shit! So yeah. I lost, you know, I, I just basically separated myself from those actors and I separated myself from that producer and said, you guys want to go do crap? Go ahead. Like, I'm very proud of the stuff that I've done in this genre. Um, and yeah, you, you took it. You took advantage of an opportunity. An opportunity oh, to present itself, yeah. and you like you dove in. You went for it. And but it's interesting that you saw this as okay. This is the limitation. I have fifty thousand dollars to make a movie, which, by the way, is not a lot of money. No, not at all. <laughs> like I, 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 you know, live in the horror space, and you know, some people are like fifty thousand dollars. Oh my god, I can make three films. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but no one's gonna watch. <laughs> so. 
uh, here you are making urban and having seen your work, the fucking ambition, like you, your, your filmmaking is so, it's almost desperately ambitious. Oh, like, thanks. I, I love that. I love it's, that. It's, it's, it's like, I just watched counterpunch and it's like the, first of all, I don't, okay. What was the budget on that? 150,000. Oh my God. 18 days shoot. You can tell, like, I mean, I can tell that the budget is low mm-hmm. and you had these limitations, but it didn't stop you from, d- like, r- aspiring. Like, you can just see the aspiration. Like, I would look at that film and I would put it up against, you know, movies that are a $2 because it looks like a $2 million movie. Like, it, it oh, looks thank like you. A, it has that... Uh, because it's got the grit, the spirit, the editing is sensational. The fact that you're filming out, like you did the locations, you're yeah. just so many locations. And you just look at something like that. And yeah, we can hear it. We can see it. Okay, this didn't cost a lot of money, but God, he's going for it. Yeah. And to see that when you're given, you know, like 50K to make a movie and... It, it's it makes me sad to hear that you know your producing partners are basically like okay now we've got a machine and we have a we have a model and you're saying no 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 this model was a jumping off point right. this isn't where we're ending up exactly yeah and that was that was the big problem because after I had done a fourth film with actually no I did a fifth film with them after that and that was a great experience like that shooting experience I had I had a little bit more money I think we had seventy five thousand for that last film I did with them. And it was just a great shooting experience. I wasn't rushed. I was able to take my time. Um, We shot all in L.A., you know, because some of my films I shot in Mexico because it's cheaper. Um, But L.A. had, L.A. permits got, or uh, Film L.A. had gotten much better with the permits for independent filmmaking. So um, when we did, uh, it was a film called, what was originally titled La Guapa. They changed it to Thou Shalt Not Kill. Um, That film, after that, I came up with a whole process. I said, look, this is what I want to do next. And, you know, they humored me. And then I remember on that meeting walking out and seeing these two actors that, that I actually put together. They actually are married now and have a kid and everything <laughs> else. Um, they owe me everything. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they were coming in after me. And I was like, what's this about? And then I just, it just started to just, the whole thing, what I mentioned is it just started to rot. This thing I had built, I thought I was building a troupe of actors. Yeah. I thought I was building a way of working as yeah. a Latino. And it just started to rot from the inside out. And it was all because of ego and, and narcissism and, and you know, those types e- of things. Ego is the enemy of art, man. Yeah, and I just, man, I just, ah, maybe that's my problem, though. Like, I don't, I, I, like I said, I talked about my tenants that I formed, right? Yeah. There are three tenants I have, and I formed them all, not through my experience, by watching what doesn't work for other actors. Yeah. And they'll, they'll, Hey, man, if someone else can make the mistakes for you, the uh, least absolutely. you can do is take oh, a note. Absolutely. Like, just learn. And yeah. I've seen it a million times. The one that I told you was, you know, don't, uh, don't let your ego get bigger than your career. Yeah. The other one is don't make promises you can't keep. Because yeah. I would see that all the time. And we think we can get into Sundance with this. You haven't shot one frame. Exactly. And you think you can get into Sundance. Yeah. Never tell your cast and crew that. Ever. You know how hard it is to get in Sundance? And even if you got into Sundance, you know how hard it is to get a deal, even when you're in there? Yeah. Um, and then the other one was uh, when it's all said and done, never let more be said than done. And with the internet, like that totally evaporated you know, that, uh, that saying yeah. is more, that's all it is now. Like, yeah. I'm going to tell you I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I'm like, show me, show me, show yeah. me. Don't tell me. 
Yeah, it's it's exactly, and I find that those are great uh, and uh, such salient advice. You touched on something. Um, oh, you know when you said it rotted from the inside and you wanted to build this troop. Uh, I had I had a similar experience with uh, some people that I was wor- working with, and I really I I I, I remember I kept saying I I want to, uh, you know I want to hitch my wagon to this to this train right right. And uh, my, my experience wasn't as negative. We just went our separate ways right. am- amicably, and it was fine. Uh, but it still hurt that, you know, like, I, in my head, I'm like, well, we're building this group. We're building this, this group of people, and I want to hitch my wagon to this. And a friend of mine said something to me that I think totally applies to you. And uh, he said, dude, you don't want to hitch your wagon. You're the horse. Like, there is no wagon. D- fuck that. You Like, you're the horse. Right. So... <laughs> You, yeah, there's I mean, no, there's no troop. You're, 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 you're going to lead into the next, next into thing. The next Absolutely. Thing. And I, I, I had to start over, and that was yeah. like the, the, I don't know. At that point, was probably the third time I was starting over. Yeah. But what I, similar to that, what I, what I, the mentality I have now is, be willing to start over again and again and again. Yeah. You know, your career does not go like this. It no. does not go at. You know, just so for those, going for straight those up. Who, uh, who can't see us, if I knew we Matt, have I could tell you the angle. <laughs> he put his hand on a forty-five degree angle, forty-five degree, trying angle. to be there uh, trying is. to do an upward trajectory. That's yes. what he said. It doesn't go like this: forty-five <laughs> degree angle, upward trajectory. Okay. And so I've just gotten comfortable in that space, yeah. and writing the book for me. Now, t- tell me about the book. Because we're gonna we're gonna hop back and forth. Oh yeah, no, it's all good. I I started writing. Well, it was actually right around that time. Yeah, you know where I was basically done. I had done six films at that point, and I thought my career was pretty much over. You know, at that point, I'd have people reach out all the time because they saw that I was I was prolific. But you know, it all comes down to money, and it's like, okay, I don't want to have meetings about ideas. If there's no money, then we're just talking, and I don't want to talk. I I know how to. I I don't do that. What I do is I I make movies. So if you have money, if you have some budget, then we can sit down and start making plans and talking things. But so I would get a lot of that, and it was just frustrating. And a a filmmaker friend of mine, he was doing his uh, first feature at the time, and so he would say, "Hey man, would you mind if I?" you know, can meet with you on occasion and just get your advice on things. And I said, yeah, man, no problem. So we would meet at the Starbucks in Valley Village. I was living in Valley Village at the time. And and he says, you know, you really should write a book. And I'm on. no one's going to buy my book, man. I'm not Robert Rodriguez. I didn't make it off of one film. Yeah, but <laughs> you know what? I, you know, it, the people who make it and sell books are trading on their name and they're – some Part some things are unless it's an, uh, just an autobiography of like yeah I want to know how this person's you know living they're trading on their name and they're selling a false bill of goods because there's no one way there's no two ways there's a million ways to make it and I would rather talk to someone who's in the trenches what have you learned and at the end of the day it doesn't matter if you've made it or well first of all let's just dispel that there's no it to right, make right there is no it to make even well maybe not Spielberg but you know <laughs> yeah. Robert Rodriguez is still trying to find the next and know, get his things done absolutely to get his, you know it, there's no it to make there is just work and hustle yes and, and process and process and and that's I mean you, you come from the acting world so you know these little these these trigger words of like you know the process the work the craft right I mean, absolutely th- these these speak to a sort of a deeper sense of uh, who we are as humans and how what how we bring that to the the work that we do and right it's, 
And it, as opposed to the dentist who's like, I want to make a movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Well, my dentist is always trying to get into my movies. So, yeah. And yeah, hey, he has a SAG card, too. <laughs> hey, listen, if he can finance, I mean, dentists well, are financing a, that's movies. That's what I said. I go, well, how much is it worth to you if you want to be in a movie? <laughs> yeah, exactly, because I'll put you in. But it's, it's, it's funny to hear, you know, uh, I, think, I think you're the perfect person to write a book because you're in it. And, you know, you don't want to write a, I don't know, man. There's something about like looking back on your life and sort of finding these, you know, gems and pieces of uh, glory and then you put them in a book and it's like, yeah, that makes for an interesting read. But when you're in the trenches and you're like, you know what, this is happening in real time. Yeah. And so I'm going to finish it. And knowing that when I write, you know, the end, it's it's not. It's dot, dot, dot. It's an ellipsis it's to be volume continued. One. Yeah, it's volume, volume one. one to be continued. And we're just going to keep doing this. You know, That's word for word is exactly what my particular, this friend said to me. Word for huh. word, what you just said. And Oh, that was me. Don't remember? Yeah. We had that, we had, <laughs> that was me. Oh, thanks, I'm not even sure how long ago that was <laughs> when he told me that. And so I just started writing down stories of things. And at the time, I was so bitter um, that there was a lot of anger in the writing. Yeah. And then I kind of put it aside and then came back to it. Then I got in a writing group, and I started sharing it in the writing group. And they're like, these are great, you know, but just, you know, try to do <laughs> put a positive spin on it. Yeah. And I was in a different place then, so it's been, like, evolving. But which, is, which is paramount for all writers, I mean. I think so, yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm not on a schedule, but this one is, this is going to be out before uh, the fall of, 20, of this year. Awesome. So I'm very close. But the idea of writing something when you're feeling one thing... I think it's really important because it's cathartic to get it out. But then to have the foresight and just to have the insight to share it with people who can give you some positive, constructive feedback. And that positive, constructive feedback is like, listen, this is salient, but you're an asshole. Like, right. <laughs> let's cut that out and, right. and really, you know, no, I, turn I, it into something that we can use. It's just, I mean, and it was took that and... That's it was the best decision of my career was getting in a writing group, which yeah. was very scary for me at the time. And I'm like, me and one other Latino that are in this group. But, you know, I'll just say it. Like, white people approach this business very differently than Latinos. Yeah. Well, and and I'm learning how to do that more. It's our business to lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm learning in that aspect of it. And, and, and um, so for, I learned so from all that. So elaborate on that. What is... What, what, so, because I did want to talk about, like, I'm not going to say, what's it like being a Latino making movies? But what's it like being a Latino making <laughs> movies? Like, you, just because you brought it up, what are you, uh, what do you see the differences? I mean, I, I see through a lens, like, we're both filmmakers, right. we both hustle. And if you look at us on paper, it we have pre- pretty much, like, very similar trajectories and very similar careers. And we both have families and that we're, we're raising yeah. while we're pursuing this. Exactly. And I think that connects us more than anything. Sure. And that's probably what has separated me most from filmmakers is even my people within my own community because I was bartending while I was doing this because I never relied on my craft to provide for my family because uh, there was a guy, an actor that told me this a long time ago. Yeah. And I was just like, and that, but like some of the people in my group are like, their attitude is no. You got to go all the way, all the way in, and yeah. I agree with that. But as I, what I've always been fighting, you know, I grew up with my my dad, my, my parents were not artists at all, right? So I grew yeah, up very like dot the eyes and cross the t's, pay your bills on time. And as an artist, you know, that's almost sometimes impossible. I yeah. mean, I lost my house, you know, in twenty. 20- 
2010. Right. I want to talk about that too. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, but the difference, I think, is that we are always coming in, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too. We're coming in with a chip on our shoulder. Yeah. And I, what I've noticed from, oh, so true. from white people in my writing group, they act like they belong there. Yeah. And I just, and I, and I feel like, I've always felt like that in my life. Wherever I was, it's where I belong, except huh. the industry. That's so funny. And I say that as someone who is friends with gang members and ex-gang members and also friends with, you know, I'm friends with Ronald Reagan's eldest son. Yeah. You know, and I can exist and I can exist in a barbecue at the Reagan's and I can exist in a barbecue with, you know, ex-gang member friends of mine, gang member friends of mine. Um, I can exist in both those worlds. But as a Latino in this business, I never feel like I belong. Wow. And I think we bring that to everything we do. And that's why a lot of the work... You think the, that's systemic? You think that's something like... I don't like to generalize, but I'm going to just... I, I always try to base things on my experience. When I say that, I, I mean our community. Okay. Um, and like I, when I came to a party, perfect example, man. I came to a party here, Christmas party, your Christmas party that you have here. Oh, my house, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of Canadians are here because you guys are all industry and you all know each other here. Yeah. There wasn't this sense of competitiveness... Yeah. You guys are all kind of for each other. We're just too polite. Exactly. <laughs> we're, we're, we're just passive aggressive. Like, it's not that we're not competitive. It's right. just that it's we're just, passive aggressive. Okay, let's just say passive aggressive <laughs> in a supporting way. Sure, sure. Oh, but, is that, that's your movie? Yeah, because oh, the, the, yeah, the weirdest great. thing happened to me as I started mm. making my third and fourth film, I was more and more ignored by my own community in this industry because it, you feel that it's uh there there is a competitive is it is it is it because I, i'm never one to say oh st- they're you know that that no oh, you're just say, jealous no i would never say that you no know. but my but, wife seems to think that she's yeah. like why she's like they you're well doing, that's because she's your your partner and yeah she wants but, but to, she yeah. she keeps it real with me all the time and and but she was basically saying you you're very outspoken yeah. you don't play the game you don't network you don't go to any of these organizations you don't play politics all you do is your what you love which is yeah. writing and directing and you're doing it and they don't like it because you're not kissing rings and mm-hmm. any industry likes that and, and and latin hollywood is no different well i think i think that's that is something to be said for uh, anyone in this industry who isn't willing to sort of do what is non-negotiable which is the work i mean right. all the um Going out to parties, kissing the ring. I mean, because because my wife gets on me all the time. She's like, "You have to get out there. Like, you have to, you have I'm to." Starting to see more. that more and more. Yeah, you have to do this. And I've always had a chip on my shoulder where it's like, "No, I'm, I'm, I just want to like, I want, I'm working. I want to create. I want to do this." She's like, "Yeah, but that's this is how it is." Yeah, I always say this because you know someone asked me that question recently. You know, is it just who you know? And I said, no. It's not, uh, you know, I've always hated that thing. What's well, oh, it's yeah. all who you know. I'm like, if you haven't done anything and you know somebody, yeah. you're not going to get money to do something. And we can also say that that's bullshit. I know a ton of people. Oh, and, and, and same here. And this is what this is exactly <laughs> you know. what I say. I go, it's not who you know. Yeah. I go, it's who's willing to give you an opportunity yeah. and who isn't. Yeah. And sometimes the person who doesn't know you just knows your work goes, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Yeah. They don't know you. Sometimes the people you know the most yeah. who can give you an opportunity don't or won't. Yeah, or or they they think you're fine. Yes, like I've I've always come up to the, um, uh, I I always come up uh, against the uh, the 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 thing where you know because uh, I don't I don't have representation. Me neither. I, yeah. So you know, like, 
and and I've made you know I've you've made, made two multiple, films. multiple yeah, films. You know, I was like, you know, I've made two films. I've had some big stars in them. They've had some pretty good budgets. Uh, I worked with Danny freaking Glover for Christ's sake. <laughs> I did work with Danny freaking Glover, and uh, and and so when I come up to them and say, hey, uh, who's your manager? I'm I'm uh, I'm, li-, and they're like, you know the manager. I'm like, no, no, I, I, I haven't had representation in probably about eight years now. Like, well, right. what? How would you not have representation? And it, it's, it's like, what? Who do you think I am? <laughs> like, what do you? What, I. He's like, well, you got this. How are you working? You did your right. work, but Daddy, freaking clever. It's like, right. yeah, but I'm like, just like every other independent filmmaker who hustles. Some independent filmmakers who have never made a fucking movie have agents, managers, lawyers, publicists. Brother, and, uh, that's the big mystery in and, this business. And I can't get a, anyone to return my emails. Yes. No, I hear <laughs> you, know? you. I look at that all the time. There was a short filmmaker that just recently uh, reached out to me, um, and she, I didn't know her work, um, and she is now, she was promoting that she's now an Academy member. Yeah. And I looked her up. I'm like, and I, I'm like, you, she's done four short films. Yeah. And she's an Academy member, and she's been through every single program. And now it's it's just very strange. It's like... Well, it's it's the <laughs> path. It's the path that we choose. And I think you and I have a very similar path, which is, you know, we love what we do. We want to do it for the rest of our lives. We know it. I, we both come from acting. So we're sitting here going like, this is all I want to do. And right. For, and, and it's almost to our detriment where we're going, how do you not see that I'm here? You know, that's the, that's the, you know, and and I'm sure you're the same way. I've always just had faith that I would find the people that would help me get to that next level just by doing the work. And it took me a lot, a long time to realize, okay, that's not going to be it. I got to start. Like your wife said, you got to start putting yourself out there. And the thing is like my writing group gave me the best advice. So instead of promoting yourself as a director who's written and directed seven feature films, start pushing yourself out there as a writer. And yeah. then when you get in that meeting and they say, so, you know, what have you written? And you have your samples and everything. And then you go and then they ask you, oh, well, who directed all these films? And you say you. Yeah. Well, then they're like going to light up. They're going to oh, be like, that's, that's great. Exactly. So I thought, OK, I'm going to try that strategy then because I've tried a lot of different strategies. So the book for me was it changed its meaning. Like when I first originally wrote it, it was a big F you to film school, to Hollywood. Yeah. That's how it started. Sure. And then it became this thing that I wanted, you know, to write for my kids. Like, I couldn't... There was, like, there was a finality to that, though. It was yeah. like, I couldn't get to that place, you know, uh, that I wanted to get pursuing my dream. But here's all of my lessons. Yeah. And if you follow this, wow. then maybe you guys can get to where you want to go. Whoa. So then it became that. And that became... Very heavy. (laughs) Very heavy. And then I watched... uh, There's a film I probably watch probably once every three weeks. Moneyball. (laughs) You know Moneyball? I know it well. When when your enemies are making mistakes, get out of their way. Get out of their way. Just let them do it. (laughs) But there's one thing he says is after they lose the the last time, the second time they lose the the, the pennant race. And and, uh, Brad Pitt's character is just bummed out. And... And um, Jonah Hill's telling him, you know, we broke the record. We did this. And he's like, so what? He's, unless we win the last game of the season, it doesn't mean anything. I want it to mean something. Right. And that's where I'm at now with my book is that I've done, written and directed seven feature films. Six of them got distributed. I've done a countless number of shorts. I've had all these amazing adventures. 
I want it to mean something. Yeah. Even if it's just holding a hardcover with my dope ass cover that says, I did this. I'm a kid from Wilmington with no connections, with uh, was never good at anything in his life, but wanted to be a filmmaker and I did it. And here's the book to prove it. Yeah. And that's amazing. And I'm the first person to buy your book. I, I fucking love talking to you, man. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is great. Um, you know, you, you talked about families and uh, you were mentioning, you know, which is unbelievably heartbreaking to, to, to even say to your, to your kids, uh, hey, I basically I failed. Here's a book of what not to do. I mean, that's just that just fucking stabbed me in the heart. But there's something um, really interesting you know, about going for it, moving forward, doing the work, doing everything you can, even if you fail, like, because I've had my share of, you know, failures. I, well, as an actor, I mean, thank God as, as an auditioning actor, I got so used to you rejection. You got a lot of work though. Yeah. Well, I did, yeah. but I mean, it's one in 20, right? right. Like, so I got 19 <clears throat> rejections before I got work. So, right. which is great. Like you have to know what it feels like to be rejected constantly. Because it helps your ego uh, not take it personally. Right. Like your ego, it's not your, you know, it's not about you. Like, and, and, and being on the other side, and I know I'm kind of going down a weird fucking rabbit hole, but just no, give no. me a second. I'm yeah, going yeah, to no. spin around to a point. I'm with it. Um, it's like when you do get rejected and you take your ego out of the equation, you realize that it's not like no one cares like us as filmmakers now coming on the other side of things, like as an actor, I go, oh, I didn't get the part. I was so bummed. And I tested for shit and it sucked that I didn't get it. And I walked away and I kept thinking, oh, they're good. they hate me. They hate me. They hate me. Having done the other side, it makes me go, no, no, we don't hate you. You just, you, I got to cross your name off a list so I can focus on the thing that I needed. Right. I just knew that, okay, for whatever reason, you're not it. That's okay. I'm done thinking about you. Mm -hmm. There's something really freeing about that making these, you know, kind of working forward, failing, quote unquote failing, which is kind of getting me back to this. You made this book and when you say, hey, I wrote this for my kids to say, like, if I never do it again or if I never make it, this is a this is a a book to to take with you to take lessons so that you you can make it. I would take it one step further and say the biggest lesson you're giving your kids is that you are going all in and you are just diving in and going for it, pass or fail. And seeing, like, when my daughter sees me fail, to me, I've learned to say that's the biggest gift that I can give you because look what happens when I fail, quote, unquote. I get back up and I keep going. Right. And this is, you know... You're not giving your kids a book, like a manual on, look, I didn't make it, so here you go. Good luck. You're giving them a manual going like, you know what? You're going to fail. If you don't get back up, that's the, that's the worst lesson that I could teach you is quitting. Right, right. Is quitting. Right. And I love that. Like, I love, you uh, just fucking blew my mind with that. So I'm... I, I'm yeah, in with your book, man. I'm all in. <laughs> no, I, I trust me. I'll be getting getting that out to you. Um, as soon as, I'm gonna get a hard. I'm gonna do a special edition hardcover with a teal cover, and then the yellow cover will be the pack, uh, yeah. paperback. Um, yeah, it's it's. I always say, you know, because a lot of my friends when I first started, I don't know if it was the same for you. We're all single, 
you know. And I was never single. No, no, no. I mean, they, they were always, <laughs> oh, they were all they single. Were all oh, okay. single. I was gonna say, yeah, I've been, I, I've been with my wife since I was nineteen. Yeah, so, yeah. Same, <laughs> you and me both. Again, I think that's another reason why we connect on that level. Is we yeah. we both been with our, you know our our wives that long, um, but they they always felt like they wanted to put everything on hold to make their career. Oh, right, right, right. And yeah. I and the thing that I've always thrived on, you know, was the fact that when I because I never, I never feel, and I don't know if you're the same way, but I don't feel the 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 burden of being a father, being a husband. I love being a husband. Oh, I no. love being a oh, father. Oh yeah, yeah, best best job I ever had. Yeah, is and being I think, and I think, you know, especially in sitcoms, it's like, oh, you know, like that's why I'm not a big fan of sitcoms. They always make the parents look like idiots and the wife and the husband you know really don't like each other whatever but i like Conflict being a, in 23 minutes I yeah mean, that's exactly how you do it. that's it that's it <laughs> it's like try 20 fucking years guys yeah exactly <laughs> let's let's really get real now um but they um so when i would have those failures to be able to fall back on my family yeah. and have that the support is amazing oh, yeah i mean when i would go to mexico like i, I once i wrapped it was like i wanted to get home yeah. You know, I wanted to get home and well, be with my family. This, we have this idea that we have to be superheroes to our kids. And to an extent, we do um, because, like, for, I always say that I'm the measure of every man my daughter will ever meet. And my daughter, Absolutely. she identifies, you know, as uh, as, a, as heterosexual. So, you know, she's going to date boys. Right. And... I have to set that example. Like I have to be, I have to be the measure of every man you're going to meet, and every man that she meets and has a relationship with, a friendship or whatever. I ha- th- they have to meet the standards that I present. Mm-hmm. And I made that decision early on. Is like, look, I have to be the best version of myself. And for the first, you know, four, four or five years, like I was a stay-at-home dad for the first, uh, right. uh, for the first six years. Me too. That's and great. Um, isn't, what a gift! Yeah, eh? absolutely. And uh, so. You know, I was, I was daddy, superhero, you know, the, whatever you can, however you can be uh, as a presentational, as a, as a father and loving, et cetera, et cetera, right. et cetera. And then around 2013, I had uh, a massive, like, epic failure. I had an option screenplay that was um, about a month and a half into, uh, into prep, ready to shoot in Canada and it all fell apart. And it all fell apart because of <sighs> a bad finance year. And it all fell apart because of, like, a, a real bad dude. Like, right. he fucked me. And he fucked the project. And the project had to go away. Like, it, there was nothing. It just no, disappeared. It, it had to disappear. And I remember uh. my daughter, I was devastated. And my, and I, you know what? It's my fault. I knew this dude wasn't a great dude. Like I just, but I, but the the need for me to make my movie was it's greater. It's so hard, yeah. yeah, because you know what your gut tells you. Yeah, you have to trust your gut, but it's so hard. And you're like, but you're like, okay, if I just deal with this fucking idiot oh, for a little bit, then I can make my movie. And we had Adrian Brody, and it was just oh like, my uh, yeah, like God. it was, it was going to be the thing, and it all fell apart. And my daughter, I remember my daughter looked at me, and she was really, she was young, and she looked at me, and she's like, "Did you do good, Daddy?" That was that's what she said, and what. She was saying was like, did you have a good day? Like, right. Because she saw that I was really upset. She's like, oh, did you do good, daddy? And I lost my shit. Wow. I just was like, and I made a decision from then on. I said, I will never work with um, with people who aren't decent at the very, at the very base, like decency. I will not work with, like if, if the fucking hackles go up or if the spidey senses right. are tingling, I am not working with these right. people. I'm not working with misogynists. I'm not working with racists. I'm not, I mean... That should be the bare minimum, but because we know this industry breeds, like, well, what is with that? 
Well, <laughs> I always said, you know, I, I <laughs> it reminds me of a Q&A at one of my films. <laughs> I've gotten really good at my Q&As. I've done so many of them. But um, this one guy, I had a, this one guy who was a hater. And of your work? Of my work. But he always seemed to show up to my screenings. Wow. He, this guy was such a hater. He wrote, uh, emailed a reviewer that gave me a good review on one of my films at a film festival. Holy and shit. I kind of love this guy. I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> it takes balls to do something like that, especially at a film festival. Oh, absolutely. Because everyone loves you at a film I, festival. That's what I'm saying. I, I, and that's the first thing I said to him when he said what he said. And I said, do you, I go, do you really want to insult me when I have the home court advantage? <laughs> and I go, I go, there are two types of filmmakers. I go, there's people like me that are just genuine storytellers. Yeah. And there are people like you who get into this business because that's the only way you can get a pretty girl to talk to you. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I go, now I can continue to verbally assassinate you in front of 300 people wow. and make you feel like a third grader that's going to go call your mom because Kenny Castillo was so mean to you on the playground. I go, or you can sit down and shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> And he sat down, he shut, shut the, the fuck, fuck up, up, and I never saw him at another screening. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you do it, folks. So it, 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 it's not just about insulting your audience. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's assassinating them in front it's of It's verbally assassinating. Verbal assassination. And I remember my wife going to me, she's like, verbally assassinate? Wow, that's pretty good. But, it, but you know, that's... I go, that's what I did to him. But, you know, okay, so that brings me to another point, which is, you know... It's it's interesting. First of all, that dude. I I gotta. I, I'm I'm sorry. I, as as the writer in me is like because I'm always saying that everyone is the good guy in their story. Yeah. So he's the good guy. He's the protagonist in his story. Oh, yeah. So you're the bad guy. I'm the bad guy. And I love the idea that he like has the fucking balls to <laughs> just come up and say like like hate you so vehemently and for no other reason than he just didn't like your movie. Well, he's a filmmaker who can't get his stuff made. Oh, I see. Okay. And I've learned to now yeah. understand that a lot of times when I get those types of comments, it has nothing to do with me. It yeah. has to do with their inability to get things made, and they think they're better than I am. Look, the, well, I, it's not, I, I, it's, I get you, that, but they I... Feel I that they feel they're entitled. There's an entitlement, right? Oh, yeah. Right? No, absolutely. Tell me he was a white guy. Uh, no, he was actually Latino. God, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> I had a really good segue into Latino, <laughs> and God damn it! All right, I but got nothing. I, That's between you and him, then. I, yeah, I have no, no, I no, won't even mention. I will his say, name. I, I will say, he. I do still think he has balls to do something because that takes fucking courage. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But he, you know, and we had the thing is we have mutual friends. That's how he knows my my work. Right, right. And all his, all his, all of our mutual friends were like, oh man, don't pay attention to him. I go, why would I pay attention? I go. Why would you come to someone's screening? I go, I wouldn't make that effort for... I go, I'll make that effort for people I love sometimes to yeah. go to their movies. <laughs> I've been I invited go, to weddings that I didn't Yeah, go exactly. <laughs> I'm like, why would I come to somebody's film that I, you know, didn't... Who, who's a filmmaker I didn't respect. I, I just yeah. don't understand it. And, um, but, you know, it, 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 that's, that's neither here nor there. It's part, of the, it's part of the gig. And, you know, for me, it's, there's a part of it you have to just not care what people think. Always. Uh, th- and I say this all the time. Yeah. Right? There is such power in apathy. People, you know, and, and don't confuse apathy with lack of compassion. Right. Because, you know, we have to, we as filmmakers, we as artists, because, dude, especially with me as a, like as a writer, you know, like I, it's funny. I'm, I have a movie that I'm, we're, we're about to take out. And I'm really, it's taken me so long to write it. 
This is um, a horror film? No, this is a thriller. This is a subversive thriller. This is the um, one we talked about at Fright Night? I can't remember. This is uh, this is it's called Never Alone. It's uh, it's about a woman with dissociative identity yes, disorder. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. So um, I have this. It's kind of a subversive feminist thriller that I wrote, and I I, I originally wrote it in 2013, and I, I I put it out into the world, and um, you know, spending years and years rewritten, and then um, Dean Devlin. Uh, at oh, Electric Entertainment right. um, optioned it and we were developing it for a year wow. and then he uh, called me up and said hey we're basically not doing feature films anymore we're only doing television and and to his credit I mean we I developed it he gave me some really great ideas he handed me the project back like free and clear I, right. I had you didn't have to option it back to Didn't yourself. have to option it back. He's like, here you go. Good luck. You know, give me a call if you need anything. And I'm like, wow, dude, thanks. That's, you, that's a win still for you. Super win. And so... Then I met with these other producers and uh, these women. I said, okay, this is a, a story about a woman. I want to make sure I get this right. I want to make sure that I, I have um, as many women, who strong, smart women who understand stories, producers, writers, take a look at this to make sure that I'm, I'm on the right track with this. And um, luckily, I sort of got the green light from everyone, my wife included. And... Uh, <laughs> So I, I sent it out to these producers, and uh, they're like, yeah, we think we think it's great. And then they had sort of these notes, and then that one note that kind of sticks in your craw right. made me unravel the entire movie from the beginning. So I had spent <laughs> like a month just rewriting this, and finally we got it to a place where, okay, we're about to pitch it. And Jesus, I don't even know what the point of this uh, was. Oh, oh, apathy. No. It was right, the, apathy, yeah. Was, um, um, being able to walk away because we as writers, uh, I finally finished it. And I, and I said, I showed it to my wife and I showed it to some really great, uh, strong women writers, uh, who I really respect. And I'm like, what do you think? And they're, and they're all like, yes, this is it. You've got it. You did it. Uh, those three drafts before were garbage. Right. You hit it. I'm like, great. Okay. I feel Freaking good. A. I sent it to my producer <laughs> and nothing. And I'm like, you know, and then as a writer, you're like going, what right. the fuck? Uh, did you read it yet? Did you, did you read, read it yet? It's going on, it's going on. <laughs> and so it's so funny because we're sitting here like tough guys going, yeah, yeah, you got to have to not care. But then yeah. there's that part of us where it's like, you got to go, but no, 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 you're supposed, like, she's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. We're going to meet on Monday. And? Right. We're going to meet on Monday. I was like, did you? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I loved it. It was great. I'm like, fuck it, you got to tell well, me you this. You got to let me know. <laughs> this is what we're doing. So <laughs> as we live in this Sort of duality. Oh yeah, where we, you know, we want to be the tough guy. We want to have this apathy, and there is power in apathy. Like I should have been able to just go trust myself and go, yeah, it's good. Right. And I think there's a difference though between that and then like the arrogance of like I don't care what people think. No, my shit's good. That's different. Yeah. Um, I you, think it's you know, it's a delicate balance, man. It's a delicate balance between confidence and arrogance. Like I tell people who who network, I'm all. There's a big difference between being persistent and being insistent. Yeah. And being insist, insistent is annoying, and being persistent, people will admire that and, yeah. and may and may even acknowledge that. But you gotta you gotta know where that line is. Yeah. And that's a very difficult line. And I mean, this whole business is about. It's not even about about the work. You know, you can do it. Yeah. You know you could direct any episode of television. Yeah. You know you could direct a feature film mm-hmm. at on any budget. You know what I mean? Are you, you are know you can Marvel? We've yeah. got two <laughs> real hungry filmmakers here. You know One you is can do Latino. that. Latino. He's ready to go. <laughs> they haven't they haven't hired a Latino director for a Marvel film yet. There you go. Not yet. 
They will when they hear this podcast. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd I'd be happy if just an agent went, wait, who is this guy? Um, But, but, um, no, it's, it's, it's that delicate balance of, of pursuing it and being confident in what you're doing and knowing that you can do it. Yeah, because it's that voice. It's that, it's that voice at the end of the day. Like I, whenever I finish a script, and I love your advice about writing and directing. Like I think I'm going to take that in, mm-hmm. into, the, into the world with me because I was always, you know, I'm saying I'm a filmmaker, I'm a writer-director. And it's like, no, you know what? I've, I've actually sold more scripts than films I've directed. Right. Like I've, I've right. not found, I guess, found success writing more than I have... Uh, directing, but right. dire- I think it's because directing is what we want to do. Like we want to make these movies. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, I think like for me, I always considered myself a director, and I wrote so I could direct. Yeah, and I, it's exactly because no one else is hiring. No, you. exactly. <laughs> but and I, but I, but I'm finding in this business, like even like on Twitter, we're both on Twitter, and we follow Twitter writers and stuff. Yeah. Every there are a lot of Twitter writers and screen pl- and uh, that are television writers that are saying, "Hey, let me." showcase your work showcase that when we see this discussion happening but we don't see that for directors yeah and i find that interesting and i think it has to do with the fact that and maybe i'm naive in thinking this but i've shadowed on a couple of shows directing television is not hard (laughs) yeah it's it's, not hard well because it's not (laughs) writing television yeah and writing television is very hard yeah and so i think because directing television is so easy that's going to be a difficult gig to get yeah you know, because unless you create your own show, in which case you put it in your contract as like, hey, yeah, created but, the show. But, but look, there, are look show, at, there are show runners who've never directed, and yeah. now they get to direct yeah. on their show because they're a showrunner, and that's what blows my mind. Especially showrunners I've reached out to that are in my genre. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, hey, I've done seven films. I'm in the genre. This is who I am. Da, 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 da. Like, oh yeah, sorry, we already have our directors. And then yeah. it's like, then well, I see them post on Twitter. Well, wish me luck. My first time directing on my show. Yeah, and then and, and they and they give the the lead actor on their seventh season a yeah. bunch of episodes to direct. Which, or my favorite is the the yeah. Latinx uh, the Latinx star. That's like, why aren't there any Latino uh, dir- uh, be behind the camera? And then you look at their IMDb, and there's one Latino director, and it's them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's that's so interesting. You know, I, I think I I know a lot of television directors, and um, I think it's a really small pool and everybody and everybody wants wants it because you know there's like rob bowman right who does like all the big pilots and stuff like that like for cw whenever they're doing all that stuff so they they kind of there's like four or five people that uh like uh what's her name jennifer lynch Mm -hmm. uh, david lynch's daughter she does she does like you you give her a marvel show she's gonna like crush it and and so it it doesn't leave a lot of room for Kind of people like you or people like you and I just just kind of go, hey, yeah, and what, I don't, are you, what are you doing? Because everyone's thing, kind of vying for my it. My biggest thing, man, has always been, look, I'm not looking to be hired for diversity. That's yeah. not what I'm looking for. Let's talk um, about that. Let's let's sure. let's talk about because um, we we have such similar experiences, which I think gives me comfort, not in a, in a weird sense. Like if I was listening to this, I would feel sort of a sense of like, wow, things are tough all over. And that's, it's like COVID, you know, like, oh, you mean everybody's not doing anything right, right now? <laughs> okay. You know, as shitty as that is, it's kind of nice to know that we're all in this together. Oh, yeah. So, so filmmakers out there, uh, writers, directors, you know, like it's just as hard. It's as, it's, it's hard for me. I'm a straight white dude. It's hard for my uh, Latinx friend over here. But specifically, being uh, 
Latinx, like you touched on um, what it was like the sort of the, I don't want to say the lack of community, but the idea that is 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 it because there's like there's so few seats at the table that everyone's kind of fighting for something. How how are you feeling? I think that's ex- I think that's part of it. Yeah. I think there's a complete lack of altruism because of that. Um, is it, is it, do you find that specifically with Latinos? Like, in I your... mean, I, based on my experience, I would say yes because a lot of the gigs that I've gotten, directing gigs that I've gotten, mm-hmm. have been through my writing group. Um, have been through a, 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 um, a Caucasian lady. Uh, she's a dear friend of mine. She used to write for Movie Maker Magazine. She mm. was trying to get me an interview on that. She she did interview me for a segment uh, that she wrote. And, you know, she's always been, like, trying to get my films into film festivals. Like, I had just finished my seventh. She was like, hey, I know the director of this film festival, that film festival. She's She's been a very, uh, very supportive person, more mm. so than anyone that I could say in terms of someone who was Latino that did that much for me. Like, I mean, just perfect example is right here, right now. You know, you asked me to do your podcast. I've reached out to Latinos who have a podcast oh. who aren't interested in talking to me. That's ridiculous. You're <laughs> one of the most fascinating human beings I've ever spoken to. And it's not because uh, they don't know me, but it's I think I feel almost feel like we're always looking beyond. Like we're not looking at what's right in front of us. So it's like they don't want to talk to me until they know I'm somebody to somebody else. And that's basically the business too. Like I, my do, favorite, do my favorite that... actor of all time. He said this about our business, and he said this back in the '40s. Okay, so who's your favorite actor? Of all James time? Cagney. Copy that. My my son's middle known. name is Cagney. Awesome. <laughs> Top of the world, ma. That's exactly right. And they yeah. shot that in my hometown. That awesome. scene where he blows himself up yeah. was shot in my hometown of Wilmington. I live a mile away from that refinery. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Um, but he said when he accepted his Academy Award for Yankee Doodle Dandy that in this town, you're only as good as the other guy says you are. Wow. And I thought, that's perfect, because it's not really based on your talent. It's based on someone saying your talent. Someone's opinion of you. Yeah. yeah. And I just haven't have never had that from somebody. It, partly it's a genre. I don't think my genre within my own community is very well respected. I just wrote a piece defending it because of... Uh, yeah, I read that. That was a great oh, thanks, piece. thanks, man. Yeah, thanks. Fantastic. It's on, now, at this point, we should see, tell, tell them where you can... Where you can so, so Kenneth has got a bunch of shit online <laughs> where he's just basically like giving, you know, wisdom, drops of diamonds that you can you can take and 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 really absorb like his and, and you can find it where 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 You know, I well you can go to my my website. I should update my website um more, but if you go to my website, my homepage will send you to my reel, it'll send you to all my social media, but I've gotten to the point now where I've been on so many podcasts and done so many interviews that if you just Google my name, Kenneth yeah, Castillo, you'll find you'll find everything. Kenneth Castillo, as if and, and it's spelled Castillo for yes. for us for us uh, Caucasian. <laughs> um, okay, so now that I want to push back because I I don't have the cultural experience, but I mean, isn't that the same for all of us? Like, I yeah, mean, but you this know, here's the you're absolutely right. But here is the difference, okay. and you see it online as well. When we, when people in our industry are constantly, or what I call Latin Latino industry, uh-huh. so people that have made it in Hollywood, not I won't say made it because they're still struggling to get their stuff made, but then maybe they do have something on Netflix, maybe yeah. they do have something on, um, and and there are people working. I'm talking about specifically that group that is constantly talking about diversity, yeah. constantly talking about how we don't get a shot. The voices are so loud about change. 
but them behind the curtains are not doing anything. Why do you think that is? And 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 to that, uh, we, I should I should bring up two points. We're both friends with Glow. Yes, <laughs> she's so, the only one that she, actually. Yeah, yeah. Glo- Gloria Callet is uh, the showrunner for uh, One Day at a Time, and if you don't follow her on Twitter, you should totally follow her on Twitter. She is a All signal she gives booster, is wealth of knowledge, yeah. and experience. Um, that doesn't mean that you know she's going to do everything for you, but in terms of just her insight and giving it so freely, but she's the only one. And she and she is a she gives signal boosts like and she'll talk to me, she'll talk to you. Like she she and and that's that's how I started following you on Twitter. I was like, oh, I, I didn't know you guys oh, yeah. knew each other. Well, like, I I had yeah. met her. Um, I had gotten my an opportunity to shadow him one day at a time, right. not through her, but through uh, actually through the production company, Norman Lear's production company. Yeah. So I had written them. This is when I just heard it, just was announced on Variety that they were going to do a Latino version of One Day at a Time. So um, I didn't have representation at the time, so my wife made a suggestion of, why don't you just write Norman Lear and send him Counterpunch? It's an all-Cuban cast, and yeah. they had said that there was going to be a Cuban cast for that, and, you know, do it. And It's a good you know, calling card. It, yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh, thanks. And I got up three weeks later, I got a call, not a text or an email, a phone call from his head of production. Beautiful. And it just led from there. And I got yeah. to shadow on the show. I got to meet Gloria. And I just, on the last day, you know, I told her, I said, look, man, it's just been awesome watching you, um, watching a Latina run a show of Latinos on, yeah, on that she's show. She's a force. And man. the show's really, really good. Um, and me and my family enjoy it. So, and I've written, I have her email. We've written back and forth. She's, and she's passed my reel on to people. Like, I even asked for an opportunity. And she's like, look, and I totally get it. Like, I learned from Phil Lewis who is one of the top-of-the-line comedic uh, sitcom directors out there. I mean, the guy works all the time. Sure. And um, he was so gracious and generous, and I learned a lot from him. But, you know, they're not going to hire a guy with no experience, whether he's shadowed, whether it's for diversity or not, which I totally get. But I took my shot. I'm like, I want an opportunity. Um, That being said, I've reached out to other shows that I would be right for. Yeah. You know, and... These are shows that always claim the authenticity uh, monarchy, moniker, but um, when you look at the behind the scenes, which shows, which behind... shows like Narco or <laughs> yeah, no, Narcos is yeah. like one of the most authentic. Like that, they they just you should give them a call. They should have. Well, I'm like, <laughs> I just look at their stuff and I'm like, I, I wouldn't even know where to be. I, and I've tried. I'm like, how do I even? Because I don't know how they produce. They shoot in Mexico and and. They, I mean, that's on a whole nother level of author. To me, that that's a that's our Sopranos, right? Narcos Mexico seasons one and two, um, but I have reached out to other shows that are urban. Um, I won't say which, uh, but it's been very hard, and it's like, why? You know, the most frustrating thing is not hearing back. I I don't. I am okay with rejection, but right. when you don't hear back. It's it's so disheartening because you feel like you know your ego kicks in and goes, but I've done this, and that's ego. Like yes, that's ego saying, absolutely. like, fuck you. I've I worked with Danny freaking Glover, and it's like you, it, it at least warrants a hey. I looked at your stuff, and I'm not interested. Yes, you know. Uh, so at the very least, at the very least, just say. Well, I use this. No. I use this <laughs> analogy because uh, you should always ask. We should always ask. Well, that's the other thing I was going to say when you ask about Latinos in our business. I always yeah. tell people ask. I go. No one's going to give you anything in this business. You have to ask. Well, I can't do that. 
I'm like, well, you just want to be a fan? Do you know Canadians and Latinos are the same people? <laughs> Can I, I can't do that. I, yeah. mean, I, I can't ask. I remember but... a filmmaker asked me one time, you know, they were. I'm a big Stephen Bauer fan, and we got him for Counterpunch. Yeah, I was. I, I wanted to talk to you about that. And actually. he was. That was yeah. right before Ray Donovan, so he just yeah. shot up. And oh, nice. He, you know, there's a great story about two worlds colliding. I'll tell you about it real quick with 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 uh, Stephen. But um, was like, how do you how do you work with Stephen Bauer, man? Like he's this is a director asking me this. He's a legend, you know. He's Manolo from Scarface, Academy Award nominee. Yeah. He's done Traffic. He's done all. How did? How do you? How he's do you? In the like, hidden. Yeah, he's like what? For, like, for the horror. Yeah, we gotta exactly. bring it back to the horror. He's in the hidden guys <laughs> with Kyle MacLachlan. I love that. Like two different genres. <laughs> yeah. We we love this actor from two different genres. And and it also you know for my <laughs> romance people, he was in Thief of Hearts. Okay, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> And um, I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, I would just be too intimidated to direct him. And I'm like, you're a fucking director, man. Yeah. I go, I don't get intimidated. I'm not. In, I go, you can't put people on a pedestal. I go, my, I'm serving my, my film. Yeah. That's my loyalty is my film. That's and such how- a great. We as filmmakers serve something greater than us. And if you don't, that's what I say when I'm writing a screenplay. I'm serving the story. I'm serving something better than me. That's it's what I say. It's always about the story. It, because because it, it really helps when you're fighting a battle, you know, like you're talking to a producer. I remember I had a, um, I had a, a an issue. Uh, I only had one issue with the Curse of Buckout Road. There was one scene that I just thought I don't think we should have this scene in the movie. I think it's superfluous. It was with a, it was with Henry Cherney. So it was like Henry Cherney and um, Evan Ross. So you got my lead, and then you got like a big name, right? And it was a button scene, and I'm just like, we don't need this scene. We in the movie can come. And I, I remember fighting that, fighting that battle. Because I wanted to serve my idea of the story. I was like, I want to I serve the story. I want to serve the story. And my producer comes up to me and he says, I hear you. <laughs> he goes, I don't even think that you're necessarily wrong. But we got to keep the scene. We got, <laughs> you got your lead. You got Henry Cherney. It's 40 seconds long. The tie goes to the runner. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, absolutely. And it was like... And that's and, why you have a smart producer with and, you. And it was interesting because we were both serving the film. We were just coming at it from two different positions. But in, in retrospect, you know, I was like, okay, you know what? That's the best battle I've ever lost. That's, that's where I, I do that in the marketing. You know, I lose those battles in the marketing yeah. where they basically say, your poster is beautiful. It's artistic. It's yeah. gorgeous. It's not going to sell this movie. Yeah, we're trying to sell the movie. Yeah, so this is you want to make this the is, car. Yeah. The car runs. Yes, this <laughs> we is how we're gonna, we got to sell it. Steven Spielberg said that he's like yeah. sometimes you you Selling build the tires. car, sometimes you sell the car. You yeah, know? like so so Stephen Bauer. So oh yeah, so yeah. just a quick story. But I you know Stephen was so great to work with. I loved working with him. I'm looking forward to working with him again if I get the opportunity. But I was bartending. And I used to bartend at a, a restaurant in downtown LA called Bottega Louie. And Stephen would come in um, before he had a flight out of LAX, but he didn't know I worked there. So this was probably two years after we had finished Counterpunch, and he was at a table. And so I just said, I'll walk over to him. And I was in my you know stupid uh, uniform with my vest and yeah. my tie. And he your saw flare, me. Your flare, your pieces of oh, flare. Oh, yeah. It's just like, <laughs> God. So glad to be done with that job. But anyway, um, so I saw him, and uh, you know, the, all the cooks could see him, and they all know him from Scarface. Sure, of course. So they're all losing their shit. Right. And then I go up to him like nothing, and he g- sees me, and he gets up, and he gives uh. me a big hug, <laughs> and he's like, Kenneth, how are you? And he had actually been interviewed by, by a guy who had reviewed my film, and he brought up my film, and he gave me a great like uh, little, uh, uh, 
not a sound bite, but a little uh, excerpt in, a, yeah. in the interview about working with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, hey, man, I read this thing. Thank you so much. He's like, I loved it, man. We got to work together again. He was just so incredibly gracious and just made me, I, I didn't feel as small wearing my bartending right. uniform there. And I go, where are you going? Oh, and he adopted one of the pit bulls. We had nine, we rescued nine baby pit bulls um, for the film, and he ended up adopting one of them. That's great. So uh, for people who haven't seen the movie Counterpunch, uh, you should definitely check it out. I got it on iTunes. Uh, I rented it on iTunes. It's a terrific movie. Um, and there are quite a... There's pit bulls in, yes. your, in your movie. And, and they play... Some major character, actually. Major character, yeah. yeah. And it, But it... I like how you use the dog metaphorically. Like, I, I, I don't want to give too much away because right. I think it's really interesting to kind of watch them, to, to see the film. But just real quickly, just I'm going to kind of take a left turn yeah. talking about this movie because... Um, it's everything's on purpose. Like I'm watching this, going like you're kind of Kubrickian in what it is that oh, you're wow. doing. Like, like even when you it's loose and there's these happy accidents and like and I, and and again, I'm a filmmaker, so I'm watching this, going like, oh, I can tell what kind of what's what's happening, uh, but not so much that it's overwhelming the story. Like the right. story is great, and the story is about a boxer who's bipolar, right? right. I mean, yeah, we you you can uh, speak to it. But uh, what I found interesting is that w- when you have dogs like Mr. T, when you have mm-hmm. like these these pit bulls in here, I'm like, th- it's all representative, mm-hmm. and it's and it's all intentional. And I just kind of was like, this movie, like this movie could have been different. This could have been this could movie could have been a a lot mm-hmm. worse. Uh, just it could have fallen into the trap of its own budget mm-hmm. and been like, oh fuck, you know, 150. Well, this is what we got. Right. But instead, you just you you elevated it. You elevated it in a way that I was I was really impressed watching it. And so when you speak to the dogs about rescuing oh, yeah. these dogs, I love that these dogs actually played. Oh yeah, we, a pivotal character in the the guy in, who in the, the trainer for Tito uh, had an organization called Peace for Pit Bulls. Yeah. And he so wore the, he wore the shirt. At the yeah, end of the at thing, the very yeah. end. Yeah. And um, he. Um, he told us of these. We needed a we needed a baby match for a puppy match for Tito. Yeah. So there was an organization. There was a, a pound or something that was going to euthanize nine baby pit bulls, blue nose pits. Yeah, beautiful dogs. So we went and rescued them all, and we used two of them for the for the film, and then Stephen um, adopted one, and we were almost me and my my wife fell in love with one. And we I was going to ask, are, there, are any of those yours? No, you, no. I, if I had a house at the time, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But we were in an apartment, and I had a, a Chihuahua, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, he's, and he, he's, he's he's a mean Chihuahua, so I didn't think he was going <laughs> to like it too much. Um, but no, but but back to this, this the Bauer thing. What was great about that was, I you know I left, and then you know he he left. And I'm bartending, and all the cooks like came up to me, and they're like, "How do you know Manolo? How do you know Manolo?" <laughs> and I told them, "I go, he was in my movie." They're like so confused because they saw me as a bartender yeah. every day, right? And I go, "Well, I'm a, I'm a writer director. This is just my day job." And they were just so like, and then they started looking at me differently. Yeah. And then they, of course they all went home and rented Counterpunch, and then like I'd come in and like you for get about an uptick. a you get oh, an uptick yeah, on for your about residuals. a week <laughs> for about a week I'm co- yeah exactly for about a week I'm coming in and they're like, "Hey man," and then they're like, "Hey, we saw Sideways." They're like having like movie nights, like all the cooks are having movie nights, and they're like, "That's so great," you know. And then after they've they've burned through my entire library, they're like, "Why are you working here?" <laughs> Isn't that isn't that funny? Like yeah, like why aren't you a millionaire? And I'm like, the it don't work that way, yeah, man. It doesn't work yeah. that way. Like if anything, Cut Strip Cinema is going to dispel 
any preconceived notion that anyone has that making movies is a easy because it's not and b uh fruitful because uh, while it can be for some the majority of us even like our bartenders know, oh yeah it's like you know, you know and and that was, you know, and, and, but that, but you have little moments like that. And I, I, I talk about that in the book, you know, I mean, cause then there's the, the flip side of that moment where, you know, some director that is competitive with me comes into my restaurant and wants to, you know, job shame me, you know, cause I'm working, you know, Does so that happen? Is that, for- that happened to me twice. One guy actually took a picture of me and said, I can't wait to post this on Facebook. And, my wife, who's not a blogger or anything, she wrote a she started a Tumblr uh, account. She hasn't been on it in a while, but that night she formed a Tumblr account called. When was this? When was uh, this? It was called Indie Wife Life. Yeah. Um, oh, probably cool. five or no, probably six years ago. Yeah. And she just wrote a thing about who I am and what I do. And yes, he has a job, but this he also pursues his passion, and this is how he takes care of his family, and you know this, that, and the other. This is a filmmaker who didn't done anything, uh-huh. you know. But he, I think he looked up to not looked up to me, but was maybe jealous of me in a sense, and then saw me working. And I'm like, that shows you. And I just said, I'm like, that shows you how little you know about this business. Yeah. I go, I need to stay ahead. I go, yeah. my, my son takes karate and my daughter takes piano. I yeah. go, I, I want to make sure that they're not missing out on anything because I'm pursuing my dream. Yeah. And, I, um, and it's not a bad gig. I was working three nights a week. You know, making two to three hundred dollars a night, like that's not a bad gig, and it never. It's it's, it's more than I make as a filmmaker. Well, I mean, <laughs> you I amortize, I, but like, yeah, and it, like it doesn't take away. From, yeah. It never took away from me doing what I wanted to do. Right, and I've always been fortunate where my bosses have been very supportive of me because that's the other thing was like, okay, I got, I'm going to shoot my movie for three weeks. Do I have a job when I get back? Yeah, that's great. That's great that you were able to find uh, be in a position where... Oh, yeah. And that first day back is always the it's hardest. hard, isn't it? It's so, yeah. yeah. I'm like, you know, I remember like one of my films I shot in TJ and I had like 25, 30... Tijuana. Tijuana, yeah. I, I had like 30... Remember, ex, you know, horror fans. We may not... Yeah, exactly. Uh, like ex-gang members and gang members who were extras from different gangs who were hiding out in, in Tijuana. And my uh, my uh, assistant director, who was probably the worst assistant director I've ever had, you know, put these guys all together. Um, but oh, from different factions? Like yeah, from oh, different wow. factions. They all want to be in a movie, but they didn't like each other. So I had to squash that at the very beginning between them Again, they don't teach you how to do these things in film school. Not that I went to film school, but um, and so the funny thing was, is I was able to do that. I was able to get them to work together. I was able to get these guys to play cops and robbers and like each other for at least the the three or four days I was working for them. And then I rap and I get back home and I gotta worry that some guys cosmopolitan had too much cranberry yeah. juice in it or whatever. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, fuck you, man. But- like. <laughs> It's it's like I appreciate the humbling nature of this, and I appreciate the fact that we all got to hustle, and yeah. I'm not too proud to drive an Uber and to work <laughs> exactly. a big. Exactly. For God's sakes, please, can I just do this for the rest of my life? Oh yeah, I mean it was it was always. Uh... <laughs> well, you know what? It gave me a great story to write in the book, right? So what's next? That's a great question, man. I don't know. Um, after the book, I don't know. Uh, I'm hoping for an opportunity. I have another s- uh, script that I would like to do, um, and I would shoot Mexicali. It's actually the title is called Mexicali. It's a feature film. It's a based on a true story. My my mother in law's cousin was kidnapped uh, in his house um, uh, with his wife and children in the house, Whoa. and he was held for ransom. And my mother in law had to get the ransom from the United States to 
to Mexicali. And um, the interesting thing about that was he, you know, he was a very, uh, he's a businessman in, in that town. He owns a lot of property. And it's very dangerous to, to be a legitimate businessman with a lot of money in parts of Mexico. And his bodyguard was the one that ended up turning on him. You know, and a lot of these guys will hire ex-military because they're they're trained and they yeah. can they Mexico does not have a right to bear arms. You go to jail for a long time for just having a gun. Huh. So only ex-military are allowed to have guns. So we you know we go down to I mean this is for real. Like this guy, when we he has a Toyota high uh, Toyota Forerunner that's you know bulletproof with bulletproof glass and the doors are this thick, um, and uh, travels with bodyguards a lot. But he was kidnapped. That he was getting an eye surgery, and uh, in recovery, he's blindfolded. So they oh, knew. Come on. Yeah. So he got out of it okay. But the the thing was, in that, so I started to write a script based on that event. Sure. Now I'm I'm making it, um, uh, I'm fictionalizing parts of it, but I am, and I'm not using their real names, but I am, uh, um, how do I say? I'm basing it on that event. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, he got yeah. out of it okay, I should say that. Um, they, he ended up talking to them and letting him go. And then um, and they did find them. And the, the police are not going to take you to jail in wow. Mexico. Wow. <laughs> so they, uh, you know, and this happens on the regular. So um, they send a message when they're going after people who do this kind of kidnapping for making a, the way to make a living down there. Um so that's for the feature that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I've got two pilots. One's about the L.A. riots. I do have a superhero based on a Chicana uh, superhero that I created, um, very much in the vein of like, a, I would say like a <laughs> Dick Tracy meets Boys in the Hood. <laughs> <That's> a, sold. <laughs> and uh, what's the book called? Uh, the book's called Stereotypical, my filmmaking memoir from the harbor to Hollywood. Right on. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for uh, chatting. Great with conversation, me. absolutely. All right, brother. Well, now I want to go make a movie. Thanks, Kenneth. Oh, my God. I love talking to him. He has the best stories. You can follow Kenneth Castillo on Twitter. He is at Cholo Chaplin. And uh, you should, because his stories are insane. In fact, we were going to talk about when he got kicked out of his house. uh, But unfortunately, we ended up going down a rabbit hole as we tend to. But do yourself a favor. Go on YouTube right now. I'll wait. Look up Film Courage. And you can see he has a slew of videos. And one of those videos contains the amazing story about how he not only sadly was kicked out of his home, but uh, it, it ends in redemption. It's just a great story. So check it out. As always, we are at Couch Trip Cinema on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So uh, if you like what uh, I'm doing, please reach out. Some of you have reached out, and I've reached back. We've reached. And while you're reaching, reach for that like button and that subscribe tab. And please tell your friends to, uh, to subscribe. Couch 
Strip Cinema is a proud member of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network. For more cool podcasts like this, check out morbidlybeautiful.com. Couch Strip Cinema is produced by Stephanie Malone and Matthew Curry Holmes. All content and music written by yours truly, Matthew Curry Holmes. Thank you, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I know that you have your choice of podcasts, and it's not lost on me that you just listened to mine. And happy National Hispanic Heritage Month. Maybe we should all go out and rent Kenneth Castillo's movies. I can't think of a better way to celebrate. All right. Later. Later.